Welcome to Your Key to Orlando Real Estate. This podcast brought to you by the experts of the Orlando Regional Realtor Association is your go-to listening for all things home buying and selling in Central Florida. Our podcast is released on the second Tuesday of every month and we'll be bringing you what you need to know if you're thinking of buying or selling a home anywhere in this area. Tune in for topics such as qualifying for a mortgage, staging your home to sell, considering new construction options, and so much more. Of course, we'll always take a quick look at the current state of the Orlando housing market and its influence on buyers and sellers. You can look forward to a new realtor host for each edition of Your Key to Orlando Real Estate. Hi, I'm your host, Realtor Christina Rordham. It's not a surprise that pets are considered part of the family and that's why buyers and renters look for places where their pets feel welcomed. In a recent study conducted by the National Association of Realtors, 68% of the participants said that animal policies influenced their client's decision to rent or buy in a particular community. In 2019, according to WalletHub, Orlando was ranked the second most pet-friendly city in the United States. But what does this mean for those who need service dogs or emotional support animals? To go over this topic, here is Cynthia DeLuca. She is a fabulous real estate instructor, a mentor, a coach, and an author to A Guide to Service Animals, Emotional Support Animals, and more. Thank you so much for joining us, Cynthia. Absolutely. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me, Christina. I'm, I'm an animal lover. I have two cats. I had a beagle growing up. I mean, I will. I had a beagle too growing up. (laughs) Oh, when you were growing up or you have a beagle now or yeah. Yeah. She, um, God bless her. She was like, you know, their their noses, their, what are they? They're hound dogs, right? Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. She would get into our neighbor. Our neighbor owned a restaurant and she would get into his trash like all the time. Oh no. (laughs) Get away, you know? So, um, she really liked Chinese food. That's all, that's all we knew. But, um, (laughs) I'm an animal lover and I love, I'm so excited to be talking to you about this. What was your, what prompted you? What was your motivation to write this book? Well, I, like you, am an animal lover as well. Had animals my, have had animals my entire life. And um, I think really just uh, being a landlord and being a property manager and being so involved in the real estate market, right? you know, we see a lot of, uh, you know, service animals and emotional support animals or a lot of requests for them. And so I think for me, it was more about making sure that I was doing things the right way uh, for those people who do have the need for the animals and making sure I, you know, uh, handled everything appropriately. So I really dove in and learned as much as I could about all of the laws with them. And it just kind of grew from there into a passion. Yeah. And that's awesome. I know there's always, uh, I get questions about that and you know, people love their animals and especially when they're performing a service for them or helping to provide uh, support, which, you know, uh, it's just such a vital part of some people's lives. What do you think the main difference is between a, a service dog or an emotional support animal? Well, there's really a couple of differences, but the main difference that I find most people uh, are curious to know about is that a service dog is trained to take a specific action. Mm -hmm. So 
typically you see a service dog, maybe like a, a seeing eye dog helping someone who is visually impaired, mm-hmm. or you might see a dog that assists someone who's in a wheelchair. So they're physically uh, disabled. And so the dog maybe goes and gets, you know, retrieves items or whatnot for the person. Mm-hmm. And so the service dog is trained. An emotional support animal is more there for just that, for emotional support. So they don't necessarily have specific training to take an action. They're there to give emotional support. And, you know, it's, it's kind of funny when you think about just the way it's named, you know, we, we love our animals and we hope that they give us emotional love and support as well. But under the, the federal laws, the emotional support animal is protected because it does assist somebody with a disability. Mm-hmm. So both animals specifically help people with disabilities, but the service animal, the service dog is trained where the emotional support animal does not have any formal training. They're just there to kind of love on the person. Yeah. He's got a job. The, the service dog has a job. He's, he's doing, he's got some specific tasks, right? That he's, he's doing. And, um, the emotional support animal is just there to be his general awesome self. Yes. We uh, hope so. Yep. <laughs> Not dig through the neighbor's trash for the Chinese, right? Hopefully. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so service animals, are they limited to a specific species? I know this is a big question. There's a lot of people that are lovers of the bully breeds and they're such amazing dogs. Um, you know, can a pit bull be a service animal or is there a specific uh, limitation in regards to species? Sure. So, so service animals fall under the American with Disabilities Act. Um, and the way that ADA views this or why they allow the service animals really in the protection is so that the person who has the disability has the right to go into any public facility, any public building and bring the accessibility, whether it's a wheelchair, a walker or a service animal with them to assist them and support them in public life. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to service animals specifically, they are not limited to a specific breed. However, ADA does say they are dogs. Mm -hmm. So they specifically, and we we typically do refer to them as service dogs um, because dogs are the only animal that they recognize under the federal law of ADA. But in the state of Florida, we also have a statute, a Florida statutes 413.08, that does also add in miniature horses. So in Florida specifically, you see dogs and miniature horses possibly, but federally or everywhere nationwide, you see dogs. So what we typically see is only dogs because if someone does have a miniature horse, they really can't travel or go outside of Florida necessarily and they would not have that same protection. But when it comes to the specific type of dog that they have, there is no Uh, restriction based on, like you mentioned, the bully breeds or uh, maybe even like a German Shepherd or an Akita, Mm -hmm. some of the larger dogs that a lot of landlords, a lot of condo associations, they don't like those dogs because of their size and, 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 you know, idea of their aggressiveness, not that they Mm -hmm. all are, but, um, but the federal laws say, no, you cannot restrict them. So they can be any type of dog, any type of animal, anything um, for that, any breed. So Cynthia, in terms of emotional support animals, I know we talked about, um, you know, service animals, 
Emotional support animals. Can it be a different breed? Can my cat be considered an emotional support animal? Yes, Christina, actually your cat could. Um, so with emotional support animals, uh, there, there actually is not a lot of strict requirements about what different types of animals can provide that emotional support. And again, because there's no specific training, we see a variety of all kinds of things. So this really got out of hand where um, you, you may have heard of, or you can look up Wally, the emotional support alligator. Oh, I remember. <laughs> so we've seen some crazy animals with peacocks and alligators and whatnot. And so HUD uh, gave us a, a clarification last year that basically said they don't consider exotic breeds something that would qual uh, classify or qualify mm -hmm. as an emotional support animal. Mm -hmm. So what they're, what they're looking at is basic domestic household, normal type of animals that we would have as pets could qualify as an emotional support animal. So mm -hmm. dogs and cats and birds and, you know, the, uh, normal birds, you know, that people would have not quite <laughs> peacocks, but you know, those types of animals would qualify. So yes, it's not just limited to dogs or miniature horses like we see in Florida with the service dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and ideally not an alligator. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't think that us Florida folks don't think alligators are that warm and fuzzy and emotionally supportive, but I guess somebody does. <laughs> so maybe not maybe not the ideal choice there. Yeah. If a municipality has an ordinance that bans certain dog breeds, does that ban apply to service animals? Yeah, that's still... a great question. There are some areas um, in Florida that do have uh, specific bans on breeds like the pit bulls, but mm -hmm. they cannot enforce that when it's a service animal. When the animal qualifies for that protection under federal law, federal law is going to supersede. So they can't deny the animal even in those areas. Love that. So service dogs, emotional support animals, canines. And we talked about this before, but let's, let's clarify. Can are people subject for, and it's three different categories, right? But are people subject for all three of these categories to uh, like pet deposits and things like that? Well, let's treat these categories separate because the answer is a little bit different uh, based on what type of animal they qualify for. So as a service dog under the American with Disabilities Act, uh, if the animal qualifies, there is no uh, pet fee, there is no additional security deposit, they cannot do anything based on that animal. They really view it like an assistance tool, like a wheelchair or, mm -hmm. you know, a walker or something of that nature. So the service dog cannot have um, any fees or anything attached with it. Uh, emotional support animals, they also are protected. They're protected under the federal law of the Fair Housing Act. So mm -hmm. the emotional support animals, you know, where the difference between another big difference between service animals and emotional support animals are service animals can go anywhere in the general public. So they can go out to restaurants, to stores, to any business that's open to the public where they're going in to patronize. But emotional support animals, because they're covered under the Fair Housing Act, they only get that special protection to stay in the person's housing. Mm -hmm. So when you think about associations, condo associations or homeowners associations that might have restrictions on pets, mm -hmm. um, they, again, that's part of they have to allow them. When we're talking about renting a property, the landlord for an emotional support animal cannot charge an additional fee. They cannot charge an additional security deposit or anything along those lines. Mm -hmm. So canines are a little bit different. 
So canines, when you think about these are working dogs, so these may be with the police department, sheriff's department, uh, TSA, at, mm -hmm. you know, for security with the airports, sure. uh, they, FBI, federal agencies. There's a lot of variety of canine animals that are out there, mm -hmm. but they're working animals and they're treated just like the employee. Mm -hmm. So if a police officer is chasing a criminal and they're running through your backyard, the animal can run through the backyard as well to chase the criminal. Mm -hmm. But once they're off duty, uh, just like the police officer, they can't walk into your backyard. So once the animal is kind of clocked out for a lack of better terms, or they're off duty, they're treated just like a pet. So the actual police canine animal does not have to be allowed. Um, they can charge pet fees for that. They're treated exactly like a pet in that instance. So really the only two protected animals uh, nationwide are these service dogs and the emotional support animals. And I know, of course, we all appreciate the canines and the bomb sniffing dogs and all of that, but I, I get what you're saying, you know? So that is the one category where people could expect to have, you know, the pet fees and, and things like that. When renting or buying, what information can be requested to verify the allowance of a service dog or emotional support animal in the house under what statues and you know what about canine so you know canines aren't going to have any type of special protection um, as i mentioned but the service dog and the emotional support animals do so under ada uh, to verify if the animal is covered under ada for a service dog they allow you to ask two questions so the provider, the association, the landlord, whatnot, these two questions. The first one is, is the dog a service animal required because of a disability? So in other words, you know, the person needs to have obviously a disability for this animal to be trained to assist them for that. So that's pretty much a yes or no question. And then the second question is, you know, what work or task has the animal been trained to perform? There's a couple of, a couple of little caveats with that. You cannot ask them to show you what the animal has been trained to do. And you also cannot ask them what their disability is. So again, it's, is the animal required because of a disability? And then what work or task has the dog been trained to perform? Um, that's just to kind of verify the nature that yes, this animal is a protected animal through you know, the service animal uh, requirements of ADA. With emotional support animals, because they're covered under fair housing, and again, it's just to allow them to go into your housing, not to go to the grocery store or shopping or any of those things. They do not have that protection there. So the first question that you're allowed to ask from a provider to the person that has the emotional support animal is, does the person seeking to use and live with the animal do they have a disability? So again, a yes or no question, they must have a disability. Both of these animals are protected to assist people who have disabilities. So the second question that they then ask to verify if the animal qualifies as an emotional support animal is does the person making the request have a disability related need for the assistance animal? Because there's a lot of disabilities out there but not all of them create the need to have an emotional support animal. So we see emotional support animals with, um, you know, military vets who have PTSD or police officers mm -hmm. uh, with PTSD. There's, you know, schizophrenia, bipolar. There's a lot of unseen, you know, not so obvious disabilities that the emotional support animal can assist. So sure. basically they allow us to ask those questions to verify if they will be um, covered basically under those federal laws. So let's say someone is trying to rent a home 
purchase some housing and they feel that they've been denied reasonable accommodation for that assistance animal or have experienced some ex discrimination in terms of their housing, where can they go to report something like that? That is a great question. So, uh, you know, when these laws exist to protect people that have disabilities and to allow them these rights. And so it is important if a, a consumer feels that they have been violated against, uh, if it's a service dog, they can go to ada.gov, ada.gov, and right on the homepage, there's a big blue button that says file an ADA complaint. And they would file that complaint. Uh, the U.S. Department of Justice investigates it, determines if they, uh, you know, move forward basically and, and uh, prosecutes that. So if they feel that they've been violated against with an emotional support animal, then HUD oversees the Fair Housing Act. So they would go to HUD.gov, H-U-D.gov. And if you scroll all the way to the bottom of their homepage, there is a link there to file a discrimination complaint. So they would file a complaint when it comes to their housing with an emotional support animal based off the disability protection in the Fair Housing Act. All right, fabulous. Uh, listen, I, I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm passionate about this subject. I think a lot of other people are too. And emotional support animals and service animals can really improve the lives of, uh, of so many people. So I think it's great that you've, you've written this, this book. And I think uh, I really appreciate you coming on and, and shining a light on a lot of these questions that uh, we get asked quite a bit. So I, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much, Cynthia. Thank you, Christina, for having me. Thanks so much. Buying or selling a home in Orlando's competitive market can be both exciting and complicated. That's why you need me. I'll use my local market insights to help you find the right home or buyer and my negotiation expertise to get you the best possible price, all while supporting you every step of the way. Who am I? I'm a realtor, and I'm the key to buying or selling your home. Learn more at orlandorealtors.com today. Brought to you by the Orlando Regional Realtor Association. During September 2020, low interest rates propelled Orlando area home sales, while the median prices also continued its upward path. Inventory, on the other hand, fell again year over year. A total of 3,478 homes sold during the month, a tally that is 16% more than the 2,989 sales in September of 2019. The median price of an Orlando home sold in September was 270000 which is a 10% increase compared to September 2019. Would-be buyers continue to be challenged by the limited number of homes available for sale in Orlando. Compared to September 2019, the number of homes on the market decreased by 23%, while compared to last month, there are less than 1% more properties available. There are currently 5,972 homes listed for sale. Our housing market numbers are provided by the Orlando Regional Realtor Association. Visit orlandorealtors.com for more information. If you are looking to buy or sell a home, go to orlandorealtors.com for information. You can also find a Realtor today or browse properties in the Orlando area. Don't forget that a buyer's consultation with a Realtor is free, and using their expertise will keep the buyer or seller informed with how the market is changing. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Your Key to Orlando Real Estate. Make sure you hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Rate and review your key to Orlando real estate and tune in for episodes on the second Tuesday of every month.